Hello and welcome to another episode of Eat This Podcast with me, Jeremy Charthus. A few weeks ago, I was in Bologna to see old friends and to visit some shows that were part of the fifth biennial of photography on industry and work. Why am I telling you this? Because this year, the industry and work were about food. One of the exhibits in particular really grabbed me, so much so that I made a date to chat to the artist in his studio in Manchester in England. I'm Mishka Hanna, I'm an artist, and I see things. When I saw those landscapes, I mean, I had no idea what they were. I've never seen anything like it. At the very beginning, I didn't know what I was seeing. Cellular-like structures um, and channels that kind of run in between these cells. And uh, each of these cells is populated by any number of black and white dots, effectively. It almost looks like you're, you're looking down into a very well-organized Petri dish, organized in a kind of grid structure, filled with these almost microbial forms in each cell. And then um, the, the grid is sort of interrupted by these giant, colorful lagoons. They just looked like no landscape um, or image I'd ever seen before. I had seen images like that before, which was why I found Mish Gehenna's work so interesting. He created large photographs of cattle feedlots, huge establishments that produce the vast bulk of American-raised beef. They are immense, home to herds of a 100,000 animals and more, kept on bare earth and provided with endless food and water until they're trucked off to slaughter. The scale of a large feedlot is almost impossible to grasp until you look at one of Mishka Henna's photographs and you realize that each black and white dot is a cow and that the small rectangles are huge 18-wheeler trucks. Henna stumbled on feedlots while working on an earlier project to depict oil fields using satellite imagery. Never in human history have we had access to these tools with which to look at the world. And so one of the first challenges that I set myself was to, to try and represent the, these gigantic kind of infrastructural systems. I did a number of works like using this technique, and then a few years later... I decided to focus on um, on the oil fields because the oil fields are impossible to visualize. That the systems are so vast, the pipeline systems, the transmission lines, the uh, fuel depots, that they span such a massive area of land that they're just impossible to photograph from the ground or even from a plane. And then obviously the satellite imagery completely changes that suddenly for the first time, you know, from 5,000 miles up in space, we can see for the first time these entire infrastructural systems and also the, the effect they have on the land. And, um, and, and so that's what I was looking for. I did a, a big project on U.S. oil fields, and that's when 
Um, I stumbled across these sites in Colorado, California, Kansas, and um, Texas. Mishke Hennant decided to find out what lay behind the images he was looking at and to scope out the best ones for his project. I would go looking for the feedlot directories of various feedlot associations across the U.S. You know, they would publish information about every feedlot in the state, and that would contain information on how many cows, um, how, how much livestock they had in each feedlot, as well as their addresses. And, and it was just a simple case of just going through every single one across the U.S., getting a real overview of what these feedlot structures look like and then, in a sense, kind of choosing the seven most, which were, for me, the seven most um, interesting sort of examples of them. I mean, there are really tiny feedlots. There are very small feedlots. But then you have these gigantic operations, which are the norm, really. And uh, they're, they're the ones that were um, the most interesting to me, these huge, massive feedlots. And they all have different forms. Farmers use different chemicals to break down the animal, the animal waste and that results in all these kind of spectacular blooms of colour, of different colours on different feedlots mm. um, in the lagoons. One of the things that's slightly difficult when you, when you see them, um, you talk about them being massive, but, but there's no scale. There's no, I mean, when, you know, looking at the image, you don't really know. I guess you could kind of extrapolate from the fact that a little dot is a cow, but... There, on some of them, you can see sort of you know trailer trucks and and what have you, but there is no scale. You don't you don't tell us what we're looking at. No, and I, I mean it, the whole point is that the viewer kind of approaches the work and studies the detail. You're not looking at it's it's clear that you're not looking at an ab abstract painting and you're not looking at a photograph even. You know you're looking at something entirely new that you've maybe never seen before. And as you get close up and examine the detail, I think that's what happens. You start to pick up these little pickup trucks, telegraph poles, silos, um, farm buildings, and so on. So it's you, you've got to kind of be careful when you're making work. You don't want it to be a lecture, really. You don't want to tell people what to think or how to even look. So I try to keep it as kind of um, ambiguous as possible, really. And I think there aren't many places in, left, actually, where we're allowed to be ambiguous, especially now, everything's so polarised. I feel like that, that experience is, is what makes it so powerful when people do suddenly realise what they're looking at. Well, what kind of reactions did you get when you, when you first started showing the work? Well, the very first um, publication that featured the work was uh, an American kind of youth cultural magazine called Vice. And obviously, you know, that, that sort of um, that set the spark, really. I mean, I, I can honestly tell you that... In the, in the nine years since I produced that work, there aren't many days or weeks that go by when I'm not fielding a request to do with this work. So whether it's an activist group who wants to feature the work on a, on a leaflet or a, a medical journal that wants to feature um, images from the series in an article about the effects of, of, um, of feedlots on the land and on human health, like I said, I've spent nine years basically just dealing the, the effects 
love this work. <laughs> no, and now you get to deal with me. Well, that, that, well, that. no, I mean it's, it's 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 brilliant. You know, it's amazing. I don't I, as an artist, or you know, you don't. You, it's not often you don't make a work like this every day. You know, so it's it, it's it's amazing to see all of the different ways in which those images have permeated across borders and, and across different cultures. I think I think of all of this as, as a kind of feedback, you know, and there's a lovely symmetry between feedlots and feedback, isn't there? <laughs> so, <laughs> did, did, did anyone object? I mean, you know, there are these things in, in, in the US, there are quite a few places, quite a few states have passed laws saying you can't go undercover into an agricultural organization. You can't, you can't report on, on certain sorts of things. Has, has there been any kind of pushback of that kind? No, the opposite. So there was a journalist, American journalist called Will Potter, who uh, saw the series and was inspired to uh, create a crowdfunding campaign which, uh, whose purpose was to fly drones over feedlots with a view to push back against the agricultural gagging laws in various states. And uh, that, that was a massive success, that campaign. It was a huge success. And, you know, many of these laws have actually been overturned as a result of all this. So um, th that was fascinating to me because, we, you know, when I did the series and it went viral, I had um, a journalist from Texas call me asking me, did I have any problems with the agricultural gagging laws? And I'd never heard of them. I mean, I, I, I had no idea. And she explained it to me and I went and researched it further. And sure enough, yeah, I, I, did, I had no idea that in a way I was exploiting a loophole in the legislation because these images already existed. You know, I didn't take, I mean, I took them, but I didn't take them, if you know what I mean. Um, they were already there. They were already in the world. And, I, and for me, that's what's fascinating about working in this way. You know, I kind of think that the world now is, is an image of infinite detail and the images are already out there, right? You just have to know where to look. Our conversation went a bit off the rails then because another Mishkehena project looked specifically at government censorship of images from space. Mostly around the world, governments manage to smudge the places they think are important, so you can't really see what's there. But in the Netherlands, they do something very weird. Countries around the world censor their satellite images. There's nothing new about that. Um, but what was really fascinating was that the Dutch chose this spectacular Photoshop effect. It's ridiculous, actually. It's absurd, but, but quite beautiful as well. So what they do is um, it's an effect called crystallize in Photoshop, which kind of reduces all detail into very bold polygon, color, colorful polygons, different colors polygons. So you're kind of scanning and you would suddenly come across these beautiful kind of abstract uh, clearly digitally applied forms in the middle of the landscape. You know, it was like a red rag to a bull to uh, people on the internet. So many people tried to started to kind of figure out what was there. And sure enough, they were usually military bases, royal palaces, fuel depots. The weird part about it is that instead of just kind of fudging it or, you know, um, photoshopping in some other kind of thing, they draw attention to the loc. They're not hiding the location. They're just hiding what's there. Oh sure, I mean it's just like having a massive arrow in in flashing neon 
pointing to something and saying, don't look here. <laughs> uh, I think that's, but that's, that's the same as the ag- agricultural gagging laws, really. I mean, it's kind of, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, who comes up with these ideas? The ag gag laws, you think, actually draw attention to the things they want to hide. The, the effect of the agricultural gagging laws is that suddenly Americans see the feedlots for the first time and they're absolutely shocked and disgusted. You know, they, they have no idea what where their beef comes from. No idea. You know, they look at the side of a package and they see some cows, happy cows eating grass, and they think that's where their beef burgers are coming from. Obviously, the, the cumulative effect of that is that when somebody shows you where when you finally get to see where it's coming from, it's a shocking outrage for, for many people. It's interesting also that by presenting them as artworks, um, you're kind of avoiding the polemic, you're avoiding the campaigning, you're just saying, here, look. Well, I don't avoid it because I, I supply anyone who asks for that image, I, I supply it to, so... Because, like I said, I, I feel it's, it's, it forms part of a feedback loop to the work itself. The, the other thing I should say is, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a vegetarian or a vegan. That's the first thing I should say. Secondly, I think these feedlots are kind of metaphors. You know, they're bigger than just. It, they talk about something bigger than just the beef industry. I think, I think it's a, a system for living and dying that can be applied to labour practices to. The, what's happened to education, to the health system. You know, this is a kind of aggressive capitalism that treats life in a very particular way. And I think the feedlots are a beautiful reflection of that, actually. And and so, you know, that's why I don't, I don't like to get drawn into the whole polemic debate because and polarizing debate because I feel that it's, it, it's not... Those are images of of things that are fundamental to our civilization and they don't just stop at beef at the beef industry and hamburgers they they go way beyond that for me anyway that's what i find that's what i found so fascinating about the series and i think maybe why it continues to have legs mishka henner reflecting on his series of images from space called feedlots the images really do need to be seen up close but I'll put a link in the show notes to where you can take a look at them online. That'll be at eatthispodcast.com. A little bit of housekeeping news. I'm going to take a break for about a month, so this is the last podcast episode for a little while. Unless, that is, you're a supporter of the show, in which case you can expect to hear from me in a day or two with an extra little gift. And if you want to join those lucky people who help to make transcripts available and to keep the lights on for Eat This Podcast, you can sign up at eatthispodcast.com slash supporters. You can also help to spread the word directly to your friends and by leaving a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. It all helps to put the podcast into the ears of people who might enjoy it. And... Even though there won't be a new episode for a month or so, I just checked, and there are now 242 episodes in the archives, so plenty for people to listen to. I'll leave it at that, with the hope that if you're celebrating the holidays, everything goes the way you want it to. Till the new year, from me, 
Jeremy Chaffers and Eat This Podcast. Goodbye and thanks for listening.